This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I think a lot about practicing. I talk a lot about it because at the end of the day, practicing the right way is really what's going to move the needle in our jazz playing. And that's exactly what my 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course is about. It's about focused, goal-oriented practicing, working on the right things in such a way that we get big results. But today, I have a very special guest on the show who is going to talk about the neuroscience behind music learning, and it's going to blow your mind. I know that I learned so much from this talk, and I don't want you to miss it, so let's jump right into that, but before we do, let's cue the music. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host... He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up? In case you don't know who I am, my name is Brent. I am the jazz musician behind the website LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Hey, before I start, I just want to say thank you. I don't do this enough, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast regularly. Uh, I don't take you for granted, or really anybody in the LGS community, whether you're in our Facebook group, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're listening to this podcast, whether you follow the blog or are on the mailing list, I, I really appreciate you, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, because uh, you are the reason I do what I do, and uh, that I get excited about doing this stuff. And because of that, I put the responsibility on my shoulders to every single week come out with great content for you to help you become a better jazz musician. I really take that seriously. And that's why I, I have a very special guest on the show this, today, like I said in the intro. His name is Mark Gelfo. He is a neuro-symphonic French horn player. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that, what that means in the interview. But he's also the CEO of a music practicing platform app called Modacity. You can find that at modacity.co, modacity.co. Definitely check that out. And we do talk about that app uh, in the show, how it can be a great tool. And Mark actually has a very special exclusive deal just for um, LGS listeners. Uh, so definitely listen to the end for that. But really what we talk about today is neuroscience and how it, that plays a part in how we improve as musicians and learn music. And this is incredibly important stuff. And for me, this was very new. I didn't know a lot about this. So I was incredibly enlightened having this conversation with Mark. I mean, it was really an incredible conversation. And I'm, I'm happy to share this with you. I know you're going to learn a lot because I, I certainly learned a lot. This is really important stuff. It's, it's a unique show. We've never had a show quite like this one. But man, it's a good one. It's a really good one. So definitely, definitely stick in with me on this one to the very end. All right, before we jump into that, though, I just want to say a special thank you to Randall, who left a rating and review on iTunes. 
Randall says, Brent is a great teacher. He breaks things down into easy-to-understand bites, covering the spread from beginner to more advanced with surprising ease. Unless you already know it all, you will likely find something useful in every episode. This is the jazz instructional resource I keep coming back to. Well, thank you so much, Randall. I appreciate that. And if you want to leave a rating review on iTunes like Randall, you can do that. It really helps us out. So go ahead and do that. Uh, I really appreciate your time in doing that. All right, that's enough. Let's jump into today's interview with Mark Gelfo. All right, welcoming on the show today is Mark Gelfo. He is a neurosymphonic French horn player, and he's the CEO of Modacity Music Practice Platform. Super excited to have you on, Mark. So thanks for being here. My pleasure, Brent. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, absolutely. And we have a really unique show today. And this is something that I know absolutely nothing about. But I also know that this is going to be important. And this is going to be a value-packed episode. And so I'm actually super pumped up about this, like really excited to dive into uh, some of this stuff. But uh, let's start with first things first. I just introduced you as a neurosymphonic French horn player. Now, what the heck does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to share that by dint of a quick story. Okay, go for um, it. When... I was young. I started playing piano around five and I started coding around age eight. Yeah. And those were passions of mine all throughout high school. I, I coded like an AI little bot in, uh, you know, age 11 or something, a chat bot. And I was playing horn and decided to study music. But in the end, I didn't get into music school. So I studied cognitive science. Okay. And that awoke my passion for cognition, neuroscience, philosophy of mind, and a, a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. And after that, I had a you know fairly successful symphonic horn playing career, regular symphonic, and kind of started thinking about all this neuroscience stuff again over the last five years or so. And that's when neurosymphonic came out, where, for example, entrainment of the brain if you match the brain's frequencies Mm -hmm. then you can with say uh isochronic tones then you can change the isochronic tones and it brings the brain with it in the same way that metronomes in the same room will synchronize even if they're slightly off when they start yeah same thing with the brain you can use sound to entrain and shift the brain states you can use sound to completely shift your consciousness and neuroscience tells us a lot about who we are as humans and what we do Mm -hmm. in music and otherwise so neurosymphonic to me is the bringing of symphonic values into the 21st century and applying music and neuroscience together to create a stronger effect well, that's amazing. So there's a lot of fancy terms in there, but I'm excited to like dig into some of this stuff, see how it applies to us as musicians. Let's 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 start with something here. Let's define neuroscience as you see it for for those of us who are completely lost. Yeah, this is important because cognition or or thought right. doesn't just occur in the brain. And I would say that the standard definition of neuroscience is the science of our brain organ, this thing in our heads, white matter, gray matter, 
synapses, and it's doing some amazing stuff up there. Not just processing reality, but creating reality in many right. ways. And just so scary. Neuro, <laughs> scary and kind of liberating at the same time, too. Sure. Um, yeah, so neuroscience looks at the function of the brain, at the structure of the brain, and how it relates to what we do as humans and what all living things do. For this episode, I'd like to expand that definition a little bit mm -hmm. and look at the neurons that we have, for example, in our gut. Like, where does gut instinct come from? At the mm -hmm. nerves that we have all throughout our body in an interconnected network. At the fields of energy that emanate from our heart, measurable three feet outside of the body. And there's, there's a whole host of cognitive functions throughout the body that I'd love to dive into a little bit. Wow, this is awesome. So now you may have, you may have touched on this a little bit before, but let me, maybe let's just hone in on this for a second. Uh, what, what made you so interested and inspired to really dig into this neuroscience stuff? Uh, what, what was that first like spark that made you go, I'm really interested in this. Like, I really want to study this and, and, and dig deeper. The application. Okay. To, to be honest, it, it wasn't until I realized how powerful the applications of this are to learning. And learning is one of these things that like everybody loves to do. And yeah. in fact, learning, the, the learning centers, centers of our brain have the most endorphin receptors of any part of our brain. And endorphin is what runners feel when they get runners high. It's, it's good. We, we like that. And the most receptors for that are in the learning centers of our brain. So it's a very pleasurable activity. And it can also be a very frustrating activity when it's not done well. I'm sure that a lot of uh, listeners have had frustrating learning experiences. Right. A absolutely. So, yes. So as far as musicians go, you know, all musicians, you know, this is, this is a jazz podcast, but, you know, this for all musicians is the reason why we care about neuroscience is because of that application, because of understanding how we learn? Or why is it important for musicians to care about this stuff? Yeah, because it directly informs the way that we practice. Knowledge is one thing, but practice is, is the important one, applying that knowledge. I, I could not agree with that any any more than that i mean that is that is dead on because you know a lot a lot of musicians like you know they go onto youtube they go onto podcasts even like this one or blogs you know all kinds of stuff teachers trying to get you know cool little licks or ideas or this new you know hack or concept that may or may not do this uh but forget that it's really all about actually maybe just applying some of the simplest things but practicing it the right way in such a way that we can actually get really big results. So yeah. I love that you said that. And there's a very good illustration of this in something called spaced repetition. The back hundred years or so ago, there was a German scientist name escapes me right now. He measured the forgetting curve that when you're presented with a learning stimulus, like the Chinese word for music is yin yue. You are going to forget that on if it's yeah. your first exposure relatively quickly. And unless we revisit that stimulus in the right amount of time, 
at which point it will strengthen it. And then you're going to forget it again if we don't revisit it. And there's a curve that represents human forgetting based on time and stimulus presentation. And you can hack that curve a little bit. And if you do that using a spaced repetition algorithm that reminds you to learn this thing right before you're about to forget it, then you can actually fit 200% more material in the same amount of study time. Okay. So double so, the amount of learning. Okay, so let's 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 take that what you're saying here. Um, let's say, so one common problem that I feel like in jazz musicians have that well, it's a common question that I get from a lot of listeners and in and uh, you know of the show or on the you know followers of the, of the blog. At, you know they forget they they learn a jazz standard or a piece of jazz repertoire and they so easily forget it. So with some of the stuff that you said, like if someone's trying to, to learn a song, set of chord changes, for example, and not forget them, like given what you just said, like how, what, what like advice would you give them? Well, this is why I'm so passionate about making music practice software. Yeah. The, the advice that I would give somebody like that is to track your mastery. And if you want to do it in a journal, fine. If you want to do it in a spreadsheet, fine. The modacity has built-in functions for that with like the mastery rating. And you would look at where you are on the mastery curve. If you're quite far on it and you've mastered the song, then you only need to revisit it every couple weeks, every few weeks. Just ping it five minutes. And if you're new learning it, you need to look at it every day or maybe even a couple times a day at first to really get the momentum going. Right. So just it's 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 a matter of revisiting certain things a certain amount of times uh, depending on how much exposure you have to it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, it's about exposure, and then of course the exposure needs to be quality exposure. Okay. So like listening to a piece would be passive exposure, right? And reciting or performing the piece would be active exposure, right? And that's what you want. You want procedural memory, and I think I have a feeling we're going to dive into the difference between procedural memory and declarative memory. Okay, great. So I know that you have six important points that you want to talk about today as it goes with neuroscience and music and learning and all this stuff that we've kind of just set the table for just now. Let's start diving right into those. Where, where do we start? <laughs> well, we already hit the first one, which is that cognition is not just in the in. brain. Yeah, I'm, I'm sneaky like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that... that is uh, there's a lot to be said about that, that we, the body shapes the way that we think. And a really good example of that is there's, there's a simple study where people value, value currency and they do it on a clipboard. And the heavier the clipboard is, the more they value the currency. Okay. Just because they've got weight on their hand. Right. And, uh, but it's, it's far more than that. You know, our bodies have built-in intelligence. And if you imagine a chicken running with its head cut off, this is a perfect example of embodied cognition. Like, those muscles are still firing. There's literally no brain attached. Right. And yet the legs are running, perfectly coordinating. Um, maybe the directions are a little bit off, you know. <laughs> but we've got a lot in our body. So that's the first point I want to make is to really respect the distribution of 
of intelligence in our body. And I think it's something musicians are already pretty familiar with. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, well, let's see. Like, let's talk about for a second. I know, I know this is something you're going to talk about, so I'm as well bring it up because it's making me think about it when we're talking. How does muscle memory fit in with what you just said? Yeah, well, muscle memory was point number two, so big high five for Whoa, got it. for that. Yeah, muscle memory is is a fun term. A lot of people hate that term. Uh, the actual the actual definition of muscle memory in the literature would be uh, like there's there's a study in Nature magazine called. Human skeletal muscle possesses an epigenetic memory of hypertrophy, and that's like if you if you uh, work out your bicep, then you get extra cells in your bicep that remember that workout, and even 15 years later, it's easier to get back that muscle mass because of the initial work that's been done. That's that's how sort of the general laboratory definition of muscle memory. It's not. I swung a golf club or I rode a bike 15 years ago and now I can kind of do it again. That's actually uh, cerebral memory, okay. procedural memory. And we, we were getting into the difference between procedural memory and episodic memory and declarative memory. Declarative memory is like facts, you know. Uh, okay, like a 2-5-1 is a common jazz yep. progression. Yep. That's a fact. But right. it's, it's not muscle memory. It's declarative memory. Right. And it's not episodic memory would be, oh man, I remember hearing this thing that was really awesome. Dun, 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 boom, 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 boom. That sounded cool. But being able to sing it back like that required procedural or what's commonly known as muscle memory. So just com- just repetition until that it just becomes a natural response. Is that Yeah. Yeah, there's a f- common neuroscience uh, axiom proverb what fires together wires together hmm. and it's uh, a double-edged sword you know because if you if you're anxious during performances oh man a lot of people will get that yeah then and you're kind of like activating your performance performance neurology and you're activating your anxiety neurology eventually it will wire together and become one circuit so yes. a lot of, and, and then like neuroscience also has antidotes about how to unwire those <laughs> or how to let circuits kind of atrophy and build better habits. But this is why it's so important because it's true. Things that fire together, wire together, and that's what creates what we know as muscle memory. That, that, okay, so I actually have a little, I've, as you're saying this stuff, I'm thinking about um, I'm thinking actually all the way back to my freshman year of college and I got into college and I was, you know, I was going to music school and I was really excited to play with some of the more experienced players. And so I found this, uh, I'm a guitar player. And so I found this other guitar player who was like a senior and he's good. He's really awesome. And, um, so we jammed together and, and afterwards he told me, Hey man, the one thing though is like, you really tense up your body when you're playing, like, you know, that's, you're creating a bad relationship with your instrument. And it actually was really something that opened my, my mind a lot to the, that feeling of anxiety or, or, or fear of, of perhaps performing with this per, per particular person. I was intimidated, maybe. I don't know. And it just caused me to tense up. Uh, and I think you could tell that in my playing as well. 
Um, and I have another experience like later on in college where uh, it was in some class where we were, the professor asked us just to play free. You know, we're just going to play free. There's no chord changes, just whatever happens, you know, one by one, just go up there. And so afterwards, the cl- all the classmates were, you know, given some feedback and someone said, Brent, that is the, the most relaxed I've ever seen you play, the most organic. And so th- there was a direct um, relation to the way my body language was showing, you know, how physically I was reacting that was actually, in, in, you know, how I was actually feeling inside and how that was translating to my, my physical appearance to actually playing. Does any of that tie into what you're talking about? Yeah, it does. It's a beautiful example too, I love that you mentioned body language mm-hmm. because uh, it's very easy for a Western trained musician to forget about body language because there's so much intellectual learning to be done about right notes and wrong notes and timing and yeah. and forgetting uh, about sort of this organic organic object that the whole thing is involved i love alexander technique for that reason and uh, oh right um yeah uh explain alexander technique i'm vaguely familiar with it it's a lot of posture stuff correct yeah you could you could look at it that way alexander technique um is really concerned with just two basic things one of them is inhibition and one of them is direction inhibition means not doing a thing (laughs) <laughs> which okay. can be a very good thing to learn. Like, how do you not tense your shoulders? That's, okay. Yeah. How do you not, um, you know, clamp down on your fingers before an important change or overshoot a shift on a double bass? How do you uh, not lock up on a brass instrument right before you articulate? Once these things become habits, it's very difficult to inhibit. So Alexander Technique uh, teaches the art of inhibition, the science of inhibition. And then the corollary to that is direction. For example, allow your neck to be free. Yeah. Allow, your, allow your shoulders to glide on your back. And yeah. just that little direction. I don't know if you noticed a physiological change when I issued that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's powerful stuff. I mean, I'm, when you're talking about this, I'm like literally going, I've experienced this. I've, mm-hmm. I've totally experienced this. I guess we just don't think about the stuff that you're talking about regularly and how important these, these things are. Yeah, depending on how you practice. And that, again, like that's where my app comes in. I was so tired of having a thousand things to focus on and no system to organize it. So finally, I was like, I need something to capture this, structure it, and take care of all that organization for me so I actually have time to play my instrument and build my mastery more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about Modacity a little in a little bit. Um, really exciting thing that you've done. I think it's actually a great tool. I'm really excited to talk about that. I, I have on our notes here, I have uh, language. Yes, we're so on the same page. You mentioned body language, and I was like, we, we got to talk about language and music. Right. Um, it's a huge one. Mm-hmm. It is a huge one. It turns out that the areas of our brain for language processing are highly recruited by music. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like syntax, semantics in language. Syntax would be like how you put together phrases. Right. I like my coffee with milk and sugar. Mm -hmm. And there's 
there's a, a structure there. It's not it's not just a linear sequence of words. Like coffee is a noun, my coffee is a noun phrase, I like noun verb, but that's a verb phrase. Verb phrase, noun phrase, I like my coffee, with blah 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 is a prepositional phrase. So there's a whole tree that Wow, you remember stuff that I just do not remember from from junior high school anymore. <laughs> yeah. Or whenever that was. <laughs> yeah, the, well, this this is my specialization in college, but um the that's called a syntax tree. Yeah. And it's the same thing in music. It's like those aren't just a series of notes. is like one little element and that has its own little yeah. phrase. So it turns out that this uh, syntax tree for music and language is processed in the same place and that we use the same uh, neural structures and intelligence and that actually when babies and, and young ones are, are learning language, it looks like from imaging studies that they're actually just processing it as a form of music first. Wow, that's insane. Right? I mean, that's just, I don't get it. <laughs> like, it's, well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we should get it. We don't get it. It seems unintuitive just because of the way that our culture has framed the musical experience. Okay, and it, to describe that, but describe the, the, that culture. Well, I've seen this in Symphony World. I think it, it's uh, also in the jazz world where, it's a huge focus on notes there's right notes and there's wrong notes yeah. and uh, timing and there's right timing and wrong timing and intonation. And it's a very like correct and incorrect approach yeah. to music and not very uh, the initial steps into music are not about emotion and meaning, which ultimately are the two factors of music and language, right? Emotion and meaning. That's what it's all about. So this is like, we can talk about this a little later, but the neuroscientific um, exploration of those two factors, emotion and meaning in language and music, actually strongly mm, suggest a different tack to music education and how, how we approach it. I think that's brilliant. Um, one thing that I notice in the jazz world, you know, as someone who creates a lot of content, videos, podcast episodes, uh, you know, blog posts, jazz lessons, uh, I keep track of what things really get a lot of attention, like what people seem to like, what they seem to not like. I notice that if I post something about a practice technique that could really help you, like if you just follow this particular technique, I mean, that's, you know, for me, that's the stuff that really matters. Um, and it'll do, it'll do fine. I mean, it depends on what it is, but if I post something on how to apply minor pentatonic scales over X amount of different kinds of chords, I mean, huge traffic spike, you know, because people want to know what are the quote unquote right notes. What are the Mm -hmm. right, how do I not make a mistake when I play? Um, I think, I think that's where it's coming from, which is, I can get it. But that kind of goes right to what you're saying about the the culture of how we learn music. Would you say yeah, so? Absolutely. And the function of music in society, which uh, for most of human time was very inclusive 
and central. Music and dance and rhythm were things engaged in by every human mm-hmm. very regularly. And we all have that innate musicianship. So I think that it's time for a movement to restore that uh, use of the universal language as very important for our global situation. Okay, amazing. Okay, great. So we've talked about uh, cognition, not just in the brain. We've talked about muscle memory, you know, some facts, some fiction about all that. We've talked about language uh, as far as it goes with music and some of this stuff. Uh, what, what next? Mastery. Okay. <laughs> Mastery what, of, what does it all mean? Mastery yeah. of anything. What does it take to learn better? How do, how do musicians currently learn? What does science know about learning? How do we close that gap? We, we all want to master our instruments, right? I mean, that's, that's why people are listening to this podcast. They want to know how to play their instruments better. They want to know how to play jazz better. So, yeah, let's Yeah, and let's based on what I just said, I, I really want to encourage people to evaluate that priority and think, what do I really want to master? Is it my instrument or is it music? Right. Intr- Ooh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Hmm, I, I got to think about that one myself. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> On a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you're 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down. So I encourage everybody listening right now to take a pencil, pen, computer, smartphone, and write down what a mastery goal might look like for themselves. Um, for me, it would be to perform multiphonic music on the horn in the yeah. next six months. What's, what's one of your you know, performance goals that you might have. Yeah. Well, I actually shared this, uh, in an episode a while back cause I, we did an episode talking about the importance of uh, you calling you're, you're calling the mastery goals. I actually call them master goals. I mean, so kind of the same line. And one that I shared was I want to feel like if I walk into a gig and I don't even know what the music is, but someone just whatever it happens to be that gets thrown in front of me, that I would feel confident to be able to perform that music. Like, that's, that's a mastery goal for me. Wow. Anywhere in the world? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, kind of... Or the jazz, New York jazz scene. The New York jazz scene. <laughs> but, I mean, that would be a... Yeah, pro- probably we'll start there, and then we'll move on to the... We'll move on to more after that. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's mine. Cool. Yeah, so let's talk about mastery. And then uh, after that, I've got some stuff on the future of learning and learning technology. It's kind of Right, which applies. is what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so music comes down to two components, emotion and meaning. And when those are left off the table, when you're just doing rote exercises that are meaningless and emotionless, that leads to fairly low recall. And a lot of people have been prescribed these extra, look, just play your scales, put in your time, do it with the TV on, and develop your muscle memory. And it's like, okay, cool. I mean, that can have some effect. But it's really important to pay attention to the role of meaning and emotion in mastery practice. So the number one tip that I would say applies to musicians is to put your heart into what you play. And if that's not clear how to do it, 
find a way to do it, explore the meaning of what you're playing, whether it's a scale or a long tone or a jazz standard or a free improvisation, and make sure that there's 100% engagement. Because what happens when you're 100% engaged or 105% engaged or 95% engaged is that you enter what's called a flow state, assuming that the requirements are set up for that. Yeah. Flow was first detailed in the 70s, 80s by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, but there's some great researchers um, innovating in that, like Flow Dojo by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler is a great resource. They just published a New York Times bestseller called Stealing Fire, all about flow states, peak performance, uh, how Navy SEALs do it, how elite athletes do it. And when you're in this state, your neurochemical balance is different. And retention is 500% better. Hmm. Creativity is increased. Retention is increased. Engagement is increased. And all of that leads to much deeper learning and faster mastery. And they're talking about cutting this idea of 10,000 hours down to 1,000 hours or, or 5,000 hours. Right, because that's something that's a common thing. I mean, I forgot who came up with the 10,000-hour rule thing, but I know Malcolm Gladwell kind of brought it, you know, the attention to it with his book, Outliers, and stuff like that. So bringing it down to 1,000. So how do we, so how do we do, I, I mean, how do we get to that flow state then? That's, that's my question. Yeah, um, it's by making sure that the challenge of something is balanced with your ability such that the challenge is just slightly more than your ability. Mm -hmm. So if it's too easy, you won't be in a flow state. And if it's too hard, you'll be overwhelmed and you won't be in a flow state. And it really just comes down to those two variables. It has to be something that's meaningful and enjoyable for you as well. Like, like I said, you need to be 100% engaged. It needs to be interesting and challenging. And you just ride that curve and make sure that you're staying in there Right. It's like surfing, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not a surfer. I shouldn't have used that example. That was dumb. I have no idea if it's like surfing. <laughs> but yeah, that's amazing. I like, I like that a lot because um, I, I can relate to that, feeling overwhelmed by some enormous challenge, which usually is because I haven't broken what I'm trying to do down into bite-sized pieces, right? Mm-hmm. You end up getting overwhelmed. You, you can't function properly. You're... If it's too easy, then which is which a lot of people are tempted to do in practice, they're tempted just to be like feel comfortable, which is not really practicing, right? Because then you're just regurgitating things you already know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be in that balance. And the the guy behind Gladwell's ten thousand hour claim is Professor Anders Ericsson. Oh, thanks. Florida yeah, State. thanks for saying yeah. that. Yeah, and he really stressed that it's not just quantity of practice. It's quality of practice. He really, it's very important quality of practice. He talks about deliberate practice. He's the one that coined that term, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, in, in Modacity App, there's actually a deliberate practice mode. You just click the improve button and it says, hey, what do you want to improve? Try a strategy for it, test the strategy, make sure that it works. And if it works, then it, you practice it again and it goes into your history log. Well, let's, let's so, start talking about that, actually. Um, let's start talking about Modacity, which is your app that you've developed. And all this stuff we've been talking about, I, f- I feel like has inspired what you've created here um, with Modacity. Um, could you like talk a little bit about Modacity, exactly what it is, and you know why, why you created it? Well, you could think of it as a music practice assistant. 
to take care of many of the tasks that actually keep musicians from being able to have flow state during their practice session. So I was just completely overwhelmed by trying to manage my practice with a practice journal or a spreadsheet, track my time, figure out what to practice, uh, take notes, have my recordings, budget my time, you know, and then stay focused on the improvements and write things down. And managing all of that actually means that you don't have a ton of time to put your heart and soul into playing what it is that you want to play. Absolutely. Yeah. So Modacity combines a smart organization system where you've got your practice items and you can sequence them into practice sessions with budgeted time and notes. And then it's got guided deliberate practice, which allows you to self-record, listen back, reflect on how you're doing and scientifically test strategies to make validated progress step by step, day in, day out, and automatically log that to your practice journal, plus automatically log your time. And it's also has like in-app chat for practice support and a Metro oh. drone and note taking and overview, goal setting, goal tracking. So it's kind of just like an, a system for music practice and it's growing every week. We're putting in new features all the time, but that's, that's the vision. That's awesome. So, I mean, this is really cool stuff and I think it's a great tool because I've played around with it myself a little bit now. So let's, let's go back to that example I gave earlier. Like I'm learning a jazz standard, you know, I'm trying to learn how to play this new tune, whatever it is. I'm going to log, I'm going to get into modacity to use this as a tool. Like walk me through what that maybe would look like. Yeah. It kind of depends how much else you're learning and how deep you want to go into the standard. You know, if sure. it's, uh, if it's like a Louis Armstrong song, Versus giant steps, you may approach it differently. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> but but um, what you would do is you'd create a practice item and say that, you know, what's what's a standard that you might want to improve? Uh, let's see. One. I, let's see. Uh, I would like to improve Dolphin Dance. Dolphin Dance. Cool. By Herbie so, Hancock. Yeah. So you put Dolphin Dance in as a practice item. And then what you would do is you'd put that on, it's called a playlist. It's like a practice session. And you might also create a couple other items for like the chord, the chord changes, just the changes. And then you might uh, have a dolphin dance solo practice item. And then you might have a dolphin dance rhythm item. And what you would do is you'd budget time for that, each one of those items based on the amount of time that you have. Say you want to first do the changes. So you budget a timer for 10 minutes and you tap into that. You start practicing and you can take notes. So you might make a note on the practice item that lists the chord changes and uh, just play along with those changes. You can quit the app. You can open iReal Pro if you've got it in there and play over the changes, practice it, uh, write it down, do whatever it takes to further develop your mastery. You might use the deliberate practice. Say you're having a hard time moving from like, you know, chord number two to chord number three, and you've got a strategy that's like, oh, outline, outline the keynotes. I don't know. You had a podcast talking about kind of like, what what are they called? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> ah, it was this guitarist from the Netherlands. 
Uh, oh, Jens Larson. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was tar- talking about target tones. Yeah, target absolutely. tones. Exactly. So you might say a strategy use target tones to help me clear up how I play over these changes. Yeah. And and then you test it and you say, yeah, that worked. Cool. It's in there. It's like in your history. Uh, you finish up your ten minutes. The timer goes ding, and you rate your mastery. Oh, like hmm. Actually, I'm like a two out of five mastery on this right now. Cool. No shame. You just want to track your mastery so that you know when you get to five stars that you don't need to practice it so much. Two stars tells you you need to practice it very soon. Yeah. And we're going to be automating that down the road. So that's why we track track that. Then you pop into rhythm and you spend five minutes paying attention to your playing in the groove. Like make sure your rhythmic feel is cool. Maybe isolating some rhythmic vocabulary, recording yourself playing that vocabulary and then that vocabulary gets saved. Those recordings get saved on that practice item so you can revisit it next time you come back, immediately listen to those recordings of yourself and further develop that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm even just, I'm thinking about this for, you know, uh, some of my 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course people. Like, it's a, it sounds like it's a great way to use technology in a way that really works to help to help you, to help you uh, tackle, for example, a practice session in one of my courses, it's a great actual tool to, to use. Um, so, and I like the fact that you've incorporated recording with the app because recording yourself and listening back and evaluating is is hugely important, even though sometimes a, a lot of us are scared sometimes to, mm-hmm. to listen back. Um, yeah, but if we can a, approach that in friction. a healthy way. Yeah, go for it. There, there's a lot of friction to self-recording. Yeah. And it's there's emotional friction, there's technical friction, like, oh, I want to use voice memos. Okay, I got to load up voice memos, I got to hit record, and then before I can listen to it, I have to save it, and then I have to listen back to it. Or, you know, no matter what app you use, it's not meant for music practice, <laughs> yep. bottom line. So Modacity's recording, self-recording tool, it's like right there, there's a big button with a recorder, Yep. and you hit it, you record, it plays it back. You don't have to save it unless you want to save it. You've got everything from minus 16x to plus 16x playback available to you right there. You can scroll the waveform. It's just like, finally, a self-recording tool for musicians. So the only friction you have to get over is, I hate recording myself. But if you just do it a few times, then it becomes a non-issue. It becomes something that you really look forward to. Absolutely. So, uh, Mark, this has been amazing. So, where can people go find Modacity? Download it. Like, what, what, where do they? What do they do? What's the next step for them if they're interested in this? Yeah, right now it's in iOS. We're still working on Android, and they can find it in the App Store by searching for Modacity at M O D A C I T Y. Or, I believe uh, we're working on a special offer for Learn Jazz Standards listeners. Oh, that's right. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for doing that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so anybody who would like a discount on the subscription can go to modacity.co forward slash learn jazz standards, all one word. Awesome. So modacity.co forward slash learn jazz standards. I really thank you for setting that up, Mark. That's really kind of you. Um, I think it's a great tool. Um, I, I definitely suggest it uh, for, for, for my listeners to try it out. I think it's really, really a, a cool thing that can really help. Um, so let's just sum up. Let's sum up our talk today. You know, how, how do we summarize everything we talked about today with neuroscience? <laughs> I mean, we talked about a lot of stuff, but what, what can we do to break it down into a paragraph? Um, intelligence is distributed through the body. Honor that and look for opportunities to leverage that knowledge. Number two, 
science has important insights and key takeaways for how we approach and structure our learning. And there's tons of resources online for this and more and more. And in fact, there's all kinds of devices now that are available. So Google neurobiology and learning and the world is your oyster. And I'd say the final takeaway that I really wanted to share with people is that music literally lights up the brain like no other human activity. It's measurable with uh, neuroimaging, fMRI, and it's really a, a beautiful thing to do. And that insight, I think, validates the importance of having a musical practice, sticking to it, and working on musical mastery. I love that. That's why we do what we do. That's why you make apps. That's why I do this podcast, among other things, is that music has a, a power behind it. It has something that, uh, you know, not only is pleasurable for oneself and, and educational for oneself, it's it's for everybody, and it just uh, can be an amazing, powerful thing. Well, Mark, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. This was a really interesting conversation. Uh, I learned a lot from you. I know the audience did, too, uh, so I do appreciate you, and uh I think we might have you back sometime on in the future to check in. That was super fun. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, that's all for today's show. Another big thanks to our special guest, Mark Gelfo. What an awesome episode. Super appreciate him. And remember, if you want to take him up on his offer, uh, go to modacity.co forward slash learn jazz standards. All right, hey, if you got uh, some value out of this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, your favorite podcast listening service. Really appreciate that. Uh, We're going to have another great episode for you next week. I'm keeping them coming. It's never going to stop. So I'm looking forward to seeing you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.